Have you heard of the Torah coming out of Berlin? There's always something bubbling beneath the surface here. A Torah bursting to get out a new way of seeing the world in Yiddishkeit and our collective future. And sometimes this Torah comes out in commentaries on the Talmud and other times in community building. But for this season, we want to explore how this Torah comes out through art. What is the Torah of creation, of taking an idea in your soul and putting it on canvas or into an album or performance? What are the words deep inside of you that you must put onto the page? And what are the stories, the experiences that drive you to create it? What is a Jewish artist? What is Jewish art? What is the art of the Torah that is the fabric of our lives? So come and learn. Welcome to Torah Curious. Hello, and welcome to Torah Curious. I'm your host, Jeremy Borovitz, and I'm here with Gur Liraz. Gur, thank you for joining us. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Gur, I wonder if we could start off by having you tell us about your earliest Jewish memory. <clears throat> okay. Um, so I was trying to think about that one, um, and I tried to find, come up with something that's meaningful. Because um, I grew up in a in a very secular family in Tel Aviv, so there's not a lot of there wasn't a lot of um, Jewish memories, especially in, you know in the early part of my life. But I think the the first time I remember that that becoming a sub a topic was um, was before I was uh, before my bar mitzvah, huh. which I haven't done. Shkayach. <laughs> I never do. Uh, I never did uh, Aliyah Torah. Um, and I don't know why. I'm not really sure. Like when I try to think back when I was 13, why didn't it seem like something I should be doing? Because um, it's like in secular families in Tel Aviv, that's the two the two things that all boys would be doing, even if their family is completely secular, they would still get circumcised and they would still do Aliyah Torah. Uh-huh. And I can I, I'm sure it's probably around like 99% of the people. We do that, but I, for some reason, me and my brother, I have a twin brother, so at the same age when we reached 13, we both decided that we have no interest in doing Aliyah Torah. Wow. And uh, I guess, you know, it's uh, part of the secular upbringing, and somehow we, we were in that phase anti, where we yeah. anti, yeah, whatever. Did your families want you to do it? No, I mean, that, so that's that's my story, <laughs> <laughs> but my, my immediate family didn't care. My mom and my dad didn't care. I think my dad was kind of happy with that decision. <laughs> my mom was, maybe she would have liked to have, you know, photos, but they didn't mind. But who, uh, the, the people who did mind were the older members of the family, mm. you know, some uncle, like brothers of the grandparents. And, yeah. and one person, we did, so we did, we did do a birthday party, like a large kind of like bar mitzvah style party, but we didn't do the synagogue part. And then at the... Um, How very the, American of you, yeah. <laughs> right? Like... That's what, you know, that's what we were thinking. It's just, you know, it's a big birthday. That's how we thought about it. Anyway, so one of the... What was he? He must have been like the brother... No, wait. The husband of my grandmother's sister. Okay. Right? So that makes him a great uncle or something. Um, he came to the party and he gave a speech. And the speech was... It's never too late. <laughs> it's, it's okay that you don't want to do it now. Wow. Don't do the, don't go to the synagogue. Don't read the Bible. Everything is cool. It's never too late. Wow. Like when you're 33, you change your <laughs> mind and you want to get it done with, then do it then. Wow. 
And I remember at the time I was angry, you know, I was like, ah, well, you know, we made our decision. Nobody's asking you to, to, um, you know, stick your nose in it. But, but now I kind of, I relate to it more because wow. I, I still didn't do it. Okay. But I find, I find my, you know, I find Jewish culture. I find my Jewish heritage, if you want to call it that, um, more interesting. I find it a bigger part of my life than I've than back then I would ever imagine. It wow. Hey, it's so interesting. Like, first off, I think there are two really interesting things that you said. The first is like Jewish heritage, Jewish culture. Like, I, uh, like what's the word that describes this for you? Like you seem to sort of like be searching for the words. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, when, when I got into LABA, this program, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about some more. Um, that was the main question for me because I wasn't, there was no, at the time it was, it was like Corona and I'm, I'm a musician and I was looking for something to do. Yeah. So I wasn't looking for any Jewish activity. I wasn't looking to, you know, to, to find a way to create Jewish culture or to create Jewish music or anything like that. I was fine. I was looking for something to do and I applied for a lot of things and I got into a lot of things. And one of them was this, you know, this Jewish culture program. And that, that kind of forced me to, you know, first to, to come up with, with something for my application uh-huh. that, that made me seem like. <laughs> I <laughs> swear I'm Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, but, but the truth is that I was, that it wasn't, I wasn't making it up. I was just, I didn't have the words for it. Yeah. Cause I think what happened at some point is that I got really interested in, in a lot of Jewish culture. I got interested. When in, did this start happening? Do you think? I don't, it's hard for me to say, but I think around high school. Like when I was 15, 16. Mm. And then I, when I left Israel, then definitely even more. But even, even when I was 15, 16, I started reading like, you know, we'll talk about the, um, the, the author I'm going to mention yeah. later because I brought a book as well. But, um, he's a great I author. Got, I'm I now spying into, the book. I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> so I got into Saul Bellow. I don't remember how. I was just, I was reading a lot. I was reading a lot of American literature and I got into, uh, I think a friend gave me that, this book that I'm going to talk about later. And, um, and I loved it and I didn't even think about it as Jewish culture. I just, yeah. I thought about it as a great author that, that somehow speaks to me. But then I realized that, uh, the, the farther along I took that, like from, from Saul Bello, I got to Philip Roth and then Bernard Malmud and a lot of like Jewish authors and then, just just Jewish culture. I don't know. I don't even know. It's also Jewish authors of a certain scene who you just named because there are all these like sort of, you know, children of immigrant Jewish authors who grew up who were like d- deep mid 20th century Jewish authors, you know? Mm. It's like uh, sort of like the pre-Philip Roth generation. They're not mm. really post-war Jewish authors. Mm. They're really like middle 20th century Jewish authors. Mm. So that's also... I think just an interesting, but anyway, we'll talk more about Bella. So you're in high school, you're reading some American Jewish authors, and you're starting to think about Jewishness yeah. or whatever this thing is. Oh, oh, even the way I put it back then, I think was, why, why do I like these people? You know, huh. I wasn't even like, I didn't even realize that I liked them because they're Jews, and I'm still not sure that. <laughs> but there was some, right? That they, that's the one thing they all have in common. Yeah. But even like you know. Yeah, uh, I can keep going, you know, Bob Dylan, um, wow. Jerry Seinfeld, wow. Larry David, I don't know, a random, a random selection of people who all 
happened to be Jewish. And I, you know, and I did think, and I still do, that there was something there. That yeah. Like something about the fact that the Jewish, you know, made made their art more interesting for me. Wow. You know? Wow. Okay. You know, I still can't put the finger on what it is exactly. But I, that's what I did. Why Laba was interesting for me. Not that I was looking for it, but once I got into it, it, it became like it became a question that I wanted to answer. Yeah. Why? What makes it different? What makes it interesting for me? And it, am I even capable of doing something like that? Because I was I I played jazz music. Yeah. Which you know had some great Jewish composers yeah, in sure. it, but it's not Jewish music in any significant way. At least not to me. At least not the way I perceive it. So. That's interesting. So it's cool. So, okay. So I want to go back in time a little bit. So you're 15, 16. You start reading Bellow. You start reading Malamud. Uh, you go to the army at some point or you don't go to the army? I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I, did a, I did a civil service. Okay, cool. And then at some point you leave. Mm-hmm. You leave Israel. How old are you when you leave Israel? Uh, let me think. 24. Okay. And where do you go? I went to New York. I spent... Almost a year in New York. Okay. Uh, like nine, ten months. And then um, I went back briefly to Israel and then I came to Europe. I was in Paris for a few months um, and then I came to Berlin. So let's talk about New York. Did, when you're in New York, did you feel Jewish or Israeli? No, Israeli. Israeli, as far as I can tell. Okay. <laughs> New York, I went to New York for jazz. Okay, cool. So there was no, there was nothing else there for me. Yeah. At the time. Like, not, I mean, there was a lot of, there were a lot of things. Yeah, I, guess yeah, I yeah. just wasn't aware of them as much. I went up to, you know, to listen to the people that I, you know, that I grew up listening to on the records. Yeah. To experience that in wow. real life. And. What speaks to you about jazz? Good question. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. How, it's hard for <laughs> There's me. a reason I got the job as the host uh, of this podcast, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they gave you the job for yeah. um, No, I, you know, jazz, jazz to me is one of those things that I was doing as a, it's like, it's one of those things that I didn't pick because I was doing it as a kid. It's like judo or basketball, or, you know, one of those things you do when you're like 12. Yeah. I mean, you, you got into it for some reason. I don't even, you know, you had a friend that did it and then you went and did it too and you kind of liked it. And, so I had all these things and, you know, judo, <laughs> I did judo, I did sailing, you know, and I just stopped. And jazz, I just never stopped. Wow. I just kept going and, you know, and then at some point when you're 20, you're like, you know, I had to go to university, so maybe I'll study that thing, but I'm still, um, I had to go to university, so I thought maybe I'll study that thing that I've been doing for, for 10 years. Yeah. And then at some point you're like, okay, I studied, I didn't study jazz, I studied classical music. But for me, it was the same. It was guitar. Um, and uh, at some point, you're like, uh, well, I guess I'll try and make a living with it. But it, I, I never consciously picked. You never like woke up one morning and you're like, I'm an artist. I'm a musician. Yeah. I, ne- I, never, I never woke up one morning and, and I'm like, wow, I really like jazz. I should do that. <laughs> you know, I just always kind of liked it. And, you know, it's gradual. You, you like, at the beginning, you just play some songs and then... They become interesting for you. You find new musicians. It's like a whole world that you discover. And then once you're in there, it's too late. Once you're in there, then you're in there. You know, yeah. you got. Wow. Do you identify as an artist? Uh, no, not really. I mean, usually as a guitar, I would tell if someone asks me, I would, I would say I'm a guitar player. You're a guitar player. Wow. Yeah, it's like, it's almost like a craft. 
Hmm. From music in general. That's really, really interesting. I love that approach also because it's like, um, it's very focused, you know? It's like, this is what I do, you know? I'm not, and, and it's also not trying to be more than it is. It is what it is, you know? Mm. I'm a carpenter. I'm a bookbinder. Mm. I'm a guitar player, mm. you know? Yeah, I guess, you know, and I don't look down on these things. I mean, craft, I don't look... I'm oh, crafts are cool. Is, yeah, right? <laughs> Come on, we're living yeah. in Berlin in the age of the hipster, you know? Crafts are cool. Like. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, you know, because to, to be an artist is a lot of responsibility, isn't it? You, know, you have to think about stuff. And I never think, I never thought about, you know, that's also part of why it was interesting for me to think about Jewish jazz, if you will, or just uh-huh. Jewish music, or if I'm even capable of producing anything that, that makes sense in, you know, to, like mixing those two things, Judaism, Jewishness or Jewish culture and jazz or the music, the kind of music that I do. Cause I never, cause I never try to think about these questions. Because you just play, you know, you play the chords, you play the, the melodies, you yeah. try and make the music sound as, you know, as interesting. As so, like, when you're when you're making music, let's talk a little bit about your process. When you're making music, like, you're just, like, you're fooling around and just trying to make it sound as interesting as possible? Yeah, you know, fooling around maybe is not the word I would choose. Okay, hey, so tell but, me, give me yes, the words. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, when, you know, so when I'm composing music... I'm always looking for the next note. Like I'm always trying, I try to figure out where the melody is going. But I'm never thinking about a concept. Yeah. You know, I wrote this song for this feeling that I had when I broke up. You know, I don't do that. I, I, you know, I usually, you know, I'd I'd have some idea. Then I try to figure out the the next note and then, you know, try to figure out the next chord and where is it, where does it want to go? Where does it feel good when it goes to? And then at the end, you know, I'll, I'll play the song and I'll be like, okay, that, that could sound like this. Or if I call that song this, then it might give the audience a better sense of what it's. That's so interesting. I, I love that because it's like you create the music and then you figure out what it means. Something like that, you know? Or try to impose it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know, or try yeah. to impose it or try to give people a sense. I think that's really right. cool. Help people, help people who maybe haven't their whole life haven't listened to that much jazz. They don't know the language that well. So it's yeah. kind of like, you know, you give them a catch, catchy title. Yeah. To help them figure it out. Cool. And what brought you to Berlin? Why Berlin? Mm. And when did you come it's, here? Uh, I came 2013. Wow. August. August 2013. Du bist ein Deutscher So, and why did you come? Why did I come? I, you know, I don't, it's not a question I can necessarily answer. There's no why. There's just like, I did it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like the composition. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it's a lot of, there were a lot of circumstances at the time. You know, I get a lot of people were going to Berlin. Yeah. So it was like worth checking out. And my brother was living here at the time. My brother was studying here. Do you have, did you have a German passport like your I'm, grandparents I'm, we're austrian ah wow so okay. my, my grandfather was austrian so we can get an austrian we could get an austrian passport wow which helped us you know stay here indefinitely but but it wasn't that i don't think that dictated the choice yeah. anything, you know. what did just, you what did you find when you came here mm. yeah it was just you know it was fun it was like a sense of freedom that i didn't have in israel mm. Um. And, you know, it had a lot to do, I think, 
the reason why a lot of people came to Berlin back then and still do, it, it had a lot to do with money. Yeah. It sounds superficial, but it's not, you know, because if you're an artist trying to do your, your thing, and your thing is not necessarily, you know, going to bring you millions of dollars, then, then you need to find an environment where you can, you know, cover your rent somehow and still have time to do your yeah. stuff. So I think Berlin was just that for a lot of people. And, it, you know, it had a unique... It had a unique atmosphere because all these people came here for that reason, you know. I think it had a, the atmosphere wasn't because it's cheap, but, you know, the fact that it was a, a good city to be broke in yeah. made it, you know, made it appealing for a lot of, you know, people who did interesting things. And, and when you came here, you started playing, I assume, like... Mm. Uh... Did you find, like, you talk about this, like, freedom that you felt. Did you find that changed you as a musician or as a craftsman? Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean... <laughs> the, the, I mean, the Berlin jazz scene was very... I think today it's very different than it was back then. You know? Okay, well... The, you know, it's, uh, I don't know about it today or back then, right. so tell me a little it's bit not, about it. Right, it's not very known for its jazz scene, Berlin. And I think, you know, Berlin is known for, for this, you know, very avant-garde, um, very modern, very experimental art scene. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, to some extent, it's true for the music scene as well. There's a lot of, like, electronics, there's a lot of free noise improv, there's a lot of this stuff. And that kind of connects to jazz. That these things are not, you know, disconnected. And I think that allowed jazz to, 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 intro, to, that allowed the audience, maybe allowed the audience to find jazz interesting, you know, to, you know, to be interested in improvisation and be interested in, you know, that kind of, that kind of music, that kind of art form. And, um, and it just grew. I think it grew really rapidly. And, and, you know, I'm not an expert about the European jazz, but I think nowadays, like. On this podcast, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In this room. Yeah. In this room, you are the expert for sure. Um, no, I, I guess, you know, the, just the, just the amount of musicians and the, the, the amount of clubs and the opportunities to play music. I think Berlin is, you know, probably the, the, the best place in Europe to be uh, doing cool. this, you know. I mean, capital cities in general, but, yeah, you know, it just, just takes a lot of people because it's always a small fragment. So you have to have millions to have like, to have, to have, to have a jazz in a, in a concert, you <laughs> yeah. have to have millions of people in the city. Yeah. Now that's, you know, that's one way to put it. But I think, you know, Berlin, to me, Berlin jazz-wise became really interesting. But, you know, it doesn't measure up to places like New York yeah. or New Orleans or whatever. Of course not. But it has its own thing to offer. And it, it seems like, you know, you've been here eight, nine years now. Do you think you're staying? Well, um, that, we won't yeah. tell your, your family about the podcast so they don't have to hear <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how to answer that question. Also, because because it's a really specific time that you're asking me. Oh. You know, if you asked me two years ago, I would say definitely. Wow. But now after Corona, you know, Corona, the whole thing made me reevaluate some things. Wow. And uh, it made me realize that maybe you know that some stuff in Berlin bother me, and they always did bother me, but maybe I wasn't paying attention. Wow. And I don't know. 
Okay, that's I'm a good answer. Well, you know, I also don't know. Someone with the sunshine. Yeah, sun would be nice. Uh, <laughs> we're we're speaking in October in Berlin, where <laughs> exactly. the sun disappeared about two weeks ago, and uh, <laughs> we won't see it for another six months. Um, Okay, so tell me a little bit about LABA. Uh, we started talking about it before, but uh, tell me a little bit about the program and, like, why, you know, you mentioned a little bit of why you were intrigued. Yeah, uh, yeah. so, so that, you know, that's part, that's one of those things that doing Corona, because, you know, because I'm a live performer. Right. And, you know, I make my, I make my rent and also I, I occupy myself with playing in front of a live audience. Yeah. So that's, it was about, what, one and a half years of not being able to do that. Wow. So, you know, the, I mean, the German government was very generous with, uh, with money for self-employed people. So it was never really an economic struggle yeah. to speak of. But, but it was, you know, but there was, um, there was, uh, you know, the sense of utility where like, you know, if I don't have a gig to practice for, or I don't have a, you know, a concert that I'm, I want to write music for, then I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really, you know, I don't really know when I pick up the guitar, I'm like, ah, what am I even doing this for? So I started applying for all this, you know, whatever came along. I just Googled, you know, scholarships, Berlin, um, jazz, well, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever it is I could apply for. I think Laba, a friend of mine, was applying, and, sh- and she told me that, you know, that that sounds interesting, we can try and do that. And then I applied, and I got in, which was very surprising for me, because <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine that they would want a jazz musician. I couldn't imagine how how I'm going to convince them that it makes sense wow. to have a jazz musician in that. But I got in, and then, you know, and it forced me to, that's something that I never did, and I think a lot of other artists, craftsmen, whatever, craftswomen, whatever we call them, they um, they have to, they apply for this regularly. They apply for scholarships all the time. And that, the money aside for a sec, it forces them to put words to what they do wow. and to put ideas to what they do and to present what they do to the world. Yeah. And, and that's something that I never had to do as a musician. And I think, you know, and I really liked having to do it. it. It made me think about stuff that I never did. And what was it like? Um, because I believe there's like a text component to Laba, like you've looked at some Jewish mm-hmm. texts. Was that the first time you did that? And what was that experience like for you? No, you know, of course it wasn't, you know, so, so the study, so that, you know, once I got into Laba and we were talking about these ideas very generally and then became, began the, the study program that was, Made of um, eight meetings, I think, with a, with a teacher, um, Tal Tal Hever Chabovsky, who, who was a great instructor for, for this. And then we, we just we we had a topic chosen, and we 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 looked at it from different point of views, and you know we read different texts that we chose and that Tal chose that had something to do with the topic. And, you know, obviously, I mean, I grew up in Israel, so we have Bible class and we have, um, we have literature class and we read like a lot, you know, poets and, you know, we read all this, the canon yeah. of Jewish culture. We kind of read, of course, in, in secular schools, you never read Talmud, you never read Midrash. Too, Chas yeah. You know, <laughs> you know I mean, I'm telling you the way. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. I don't know. No, no, no. I think it's. I think it's so, so like you, you look at Talmud here for the first time, maybe? First time. Yeah. What did you think? I 
thought it was interesting. I thought it was, I mean, it's complicated, you know, and we, yeah. obviously we didn't, we just, we scratched the surface. Not yeah. Even, right? We read three passages. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, but it was interesting and I think Tal did a very good job of introducing it, you know, to an audience that I think I wasn't, I was definitely not the only one who never read Tal. Yeah. But, you know, maybe there was one, I don't even know. No, I think no, none of us has ever, you know, has ever read any of this. So it was interesting, you know, it was, it was, um, it was interesting and it was thought provoking. It was, it was a huge challenge to sit at the class and think about how am I ever going to create anything musical that has anything to do with this? Cause wow. I, you know, it's so, it's such different worlds to me still. But, um, and new. Now we're coming up to the creation part. So yeah. like what's coming out? <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, yeah, any yeah. of the listeners is in, are in Berlin, they could come to the concert and uh, hear what comes out. But, you know, I, one thing I didn't want to do is to pretend that I'm a, that I'm a Kleisman musician. Yeah. I didn't want to, like, I think, I think that's cheap to just be like, we read some Jewish text, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play some, some umza umza and, and pretend that I do Kleisman. Because I don't, and, you know, there's amazing musicians in that scene too, so. So I wanted to try and do something that, that is, that keeps my, you know, my musical interests, jazz, that keeps it close to home for me, but still has to do with the ideas that we were talking about. And of course, that's really abstract. And, yeah. You know, what I'm trying to do now is what I said before. I'm trying to write music with those ideas in mind. I try to see, you know, if I can connect them. Wow. But I, tr- you know, I try to do it in, in the way that I compose. Yeah. I don't want to change the way I work. I just want to, you know, have a specific idea in mind. Cool. Way I do. And do you feel like it's developing? Yeah, I, I feel good about it. Cool. <laughs> I'm hoping, you know, and, and my, you know, so we, we worked it out. So, um, we have another very talented, um, so I'm the only musician in the program. Oh, so wow. different kind of artists, different kind of, different fields completely, entirely different fields. And, um, for that, perf- that specific performance that I'm gonna do with my songs, uh, we're gonna have, uh, text readings. And the texts are gonna be written by, by Julia, who's, uh, who's an author, uh, who deals a lot with, um, she writes a lot about Joseph Roth. And, um, and she's gonna write something. I haven't seen the text yet. It's all in the process of, it's right now in the process of creation, but uh, she's gonna write some texts and the music is gonna be, and is gonna be written in connection and put put in connection with the reading of the text. Wow! So cool. we we hope it's gonna be, you know, one text, one song, another text, another song, maybe two songs, maybe two texts. You know, cool. It's gonna be really made together, and I, and I think I, I you know I hope that that makes everything more more um how should I put it less abstract, yeah. more you know approachable, more understandable. Yeah. You know, for me and, and for the audience and for the other musicians who are going to be playing. Cool. Speaking of text, I think you've brought a piece of Torah okay. to teach us. <laughs> <laughs> My Torah. Um, so, you know, I, as a jazz musician, I was thinking maybe I should just get a, you know, a Coltrane solo or something as a Torah or Charlie Parker or whatever. But then I, you know, it's, uh, it's beyond me to talk about jazz to people who, don't necessarily listen to this because then okay. I feel like whatever I say just takes away from the music. 
So of course, you know, huh. of course, the, those people are my Torah as well, or the Talmud, whatever they are. Um, but uh, I brought, uh, as I said before, I brought the, the first book that I ever read by by Saul Bellow. Even probably the first book that I ever read by a Jewish author who was an Israeli. So right. like a Jew, you know, someone whose Judaism was was uh, you know what's a distinct part of their lives without being Israeli. Kind right. of, you know, like me. You know, when you grow up in Israel, you don't think about Judaism. Yeah. You're Israeli. But for someone who who's a Jew who grows up in the States, that I you know, that's always a topic and that that was interesting in the book and that was interesting in other books that I went through. But anyway, this book is is called The Actual by Saul Bell. It's a it's a short novella. It doesn't have necessarily a lot to do with Judaism. There's a few, you know there's a few uh, mentions, and of course, all the protagonists are Jewish. Yeah, as always. Yeah, and that, and so it that's what I love about Bello, though, because it's like it's not Jewish, but it's so Jewish, right? Yeah. It, so it has nothing to do with Judaism, but it has everything to do. Yeah. With yeah. Exactly. And that, you know, and when I read it, re- when I read it, I, co- I you know, it, it talks about first love and it talks about relationships. And when I read it as a teenager, obviously, you know, I connected to it on that level too. But I think, you know, the Jew, the Jew, Jewishness in it really spoke to me. Wow. You know, made me, made me curious, really fascinated by it. But, uh, who's your favorite character in the book, in the novella? <laughs> I don't know, probably the old, what is he called? Ad- Adleski, the old billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. The insane. What, yeah. Wait, what What about the Jewishness in Bellow's books, and also in Malamud's books, I think, by mm-hmm. the way, like, what about that Jewishness really intrigues you? Or, or like, what the question? undercurrent of Jewish culture, maybe, yeah, to the, put it I more mean, in the language. Humor, you know, the humor of it all, the, the way of, the way that he connects, he does it, and his protagonists do it. They connect very profound notions about life, about religion about about love about you know whatever it is the book deals with they connect that with a very you know easygoing humorous witty kind of you know dialogues and and uh, you know i love that about about a lot of jewish art you know yeah. philip roth is the same thing philip roth is maybe you know yeah the master of doing that and you know of course I how can i talk about the most insane like painful topics with a smile. Right. And yeah. make people laugh with it. Make yeah. people think while they're laughing, you know, that, yeah. really, that, you know, that's, that spoke to me. And, you know, for someone, cause I was reading a lot of American literature and they're so different, right? If you read Hemingway and then you read Soul Bell, it's like two different. Yeah. <laughs> Hemingway takes him, takes it all a lot more serious than Very Bello. Serious. You know, there's like a lightness to all these guys. Right. Um, it's kind of like a melancholic lightness, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, I wouldn't call it happy, mm-hmm. but it's like laughing, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Laughing you, despite of whatever, in spite of whatever. Yeah. Do you think that comes out in your music? Mm, I hope. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's... Are you, do you, are you laughing when you're playing? Even inside? <laughs> I, I used to have a friend, so my, my favorite guitar player, uh, Wes Montgomery, Favorite jazz guitar player. That's it. Let's put it down. He always smiles. That's amazing. You can see, you, you know, you see black and white videos of him. That, you know, from your Euro- European tours. There's some videos. You know, back in the day, they wouldn't, they wouldn't film black people in the states. Yeah. So he would only get filmed when he was in Europe. Wow. 
Um, but you see the, you know, those rare um, films and he's always laughing. He's playing the most difficult stuff on the guitar. The most like challenging, technically challenging stuff. And he's smiling at the other band members. Like, look, I just did that. I just did this. You know, it's really happy to be there. Yeah. To be playing, you know, to be sounding so amazing. And, you know, and a friend of mine used to tell me this. He used to tell me, like, you, you play like Wes, but you don't smile. <laughs> you know, you play Wes stuff, but you got to smile, you know, while you do it. Otherwise, it doesn't count. So, you know, it's something that I always, I think, you know, in every good art, there's likeness. Yeah. And even, you know, in every good person, there's likeness. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's something that, that, um, that defines, you know, that defines, um, art to me you know that there's a sense it can't just be depressing and and you know wow. profound and you know likeness has to be a part of it otherwise it's you know you're speaking very deeply to me right now like you're like piercing my soul no it's great because um like uh i i've recently we recently had like a lot of stuff in uh our lives where we had to like commemorate sad events um and i think i was looking for that lightness mm. Like, of course there's sadness. We're, we're Jews in Berlin. <laughs> of course there's some sadness right. all around us. But I don't want to be sad my whole life. Like, I also want to smile. I also want to enjoy, you know? And it's like, what's the balance between like the heaviness of our mere existence, um, versus like the desire, um, for pleasure and laughter and mm. love and all these things? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. I mean, you know, I think that's why we like, that's why we like those Jewish, uh, you know, the, the comedians. That's because yeah. they fight. Yeah, it's like, and nothing beats a good Holocaust joke. Obviously, right. like, there's lots of bad Holocaust. Uh, <laughs> my favorite Holocaust joke, I'll tell you. Are okay. We doing Holocaust jokes We're doing Holocaust jokes on the podcast. Yeah. That's it. We can do a whole episode. <laughs> yeah. My favorite one is an elderly Holocaust survivor, very old man. I uh, survived the Holocaust. He goes up to heaven and he sees his friend and they're like chatting and then. Uh, his friend's like, oh, look, there's God. And he's like, I'm going to tell God a Holocaust joke. And he's like, are you sure? I don't know. If you. He's like, no, 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 I got a good one. So God comes over. He's like, hey, God, I got a Holocaust joke for you. And God's like, okay. And you're like, I'm listening. So the old Holocaust survivor tells God the Holocaust joke. And God's like, I, I don't get it. And the old man's like, I guess you had to be there. <laughs> wow. yeah so i love that joke because it's a very jewish joke because it's like yeah i actually i heard it from uh ricky gervais the, the british comedian really yeah yeah it's yeah his joke. it's he's his joke yeah he's not even a jew but it's a good jewish Holocaust joke. because it's like it's very deep it's like it's talking about the pain and the enormity of this experience um while at the same time, like, allowing yourself to laugh at the absurdity, you know? Um, and I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Um, do you have a good holiday? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I put me on the spot, man. That was a good one. I want to know what's the joke that he told God. Okay, you're living in Berlin. You're doing this LABA program. Do you identify as Jewish? Yeah. No, I mean, yes and no. I mean, that, that's the question. If someone asks me to identify myself... Yeah. Jewish is not very high on the list. Okay. What's first? Probably guitar player. Cool. But, you know, but, but if the topic comes up, you know, my girlfriend is, um, is Italian. So it comes up all the time because I make Catholic jokes and then she makes Jew jokes. 
So you know, when when I'm with her and she's Catholic, then I'm I'm obviously a Jew. Yeah. So I then I identify as myself as a Jew. When I go to Italy and you know, her parents want me to go to church, I'm like, no, nah, I'm a Jew. <laughs> so you know, it's yeah, it's definitely some you know, if if the question arises, then I'm definitely a Jew. You know? Yeah. But I'm not I'm not religious in any meaningful way. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, but I'm fascinated by the culture. Cool. Do you find yourself to be a spiritual person? Mm, no, not as much as I would like to. Not cool. As as I, like to. I try. I it's try never to. too late. Right. I yeah, heard that exactly. once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're paying attention. Yeah. It's never too late. Yeah, it's true. And he was right too, right? Because I it didn't come back all the way, but I came back a little bit. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever do a bar mitzvah? Yeah. Time will come. Yeah. Isn't it too late? It's never too late. You're an expert. I, if I go now to the synagogue and tell the rabbi, I want to do a bar mitzvah. We've got a safer Torah here. We can... <laughs> I, just get it done with. Yeah, just get it done. <laughs> um, no, I think it is never too late. And I actually think there's something um, beautiful about that answer and also how it influences w- what I'm getting from your work, which is like, it's not planned out. Mm-hmm. I don't know that by this date I'm going to do it. I'm seeing what comes next. I'm just looking for the next note. Mm. You know, yeah. I'm just looking for the next note that's going to complement all the previous notes. Yeah. So if at some point maybe this bar mitzvah is going to complement all the previous notes, then it makes right. sense. You know, yeah, I guess then it will. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't make sense to to force it, doesn't it? Uh, if you force it, it, it doesn't. I mean, you know, about the bar mitzvah, I, got, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to do it unless I want to really want to do it. You know, because when you're 13, okay, but when you're yeah, yeah. it doesn't make sense to do it until it's the next note. Exactly. Until yeah. it's the thing that is supposed to come next. Yeah. Until it makes sense. Amazing. Uh, Gore, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Uh, um, is there anything you'd like to leave us with before you go? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Another, <laughs> another Holocaust joke. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't, you know, I mean, I got here because of Laba to the podcast, so I guess, you know, if anybody is in Berlin, you should... And can you tell us when the show is? Can you do a little promo for the show? Right, yeah, I'll try and do that. Let's see if I remember the dates. Um, So, on the 4th... No, wait. On the 6th of November is the first opening of of the exhibition. I won't be playing, but there will be a dance uh, performance. There will be... um, you know, a lot of art. It's a gallery space, so there will be... This is in um, in Salona Moritzplatz. Cool. I don't know the time exactly, but I'm sure it's Google. Okay, you can, che- you can check in the... Uh, uh, we'll put it in the podcast notes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's Googleable. Everybody can find it. Just Google Labo Berlin. And then my my show is going to be on the 6th of December. Wow. So a month, about a month later. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's going to be... And tons of other shows as well in, in the meanwhile. Amazing. So this is just the first of what we hope to be a string of Laba-rooted podcasts uh, from Torah Curious. Gore, thank you for being our initial guest, our inaugural guest. Uh, we're really excited. I'm really excited to see what note comes next. So thank you for joining us. Well, that's it for another episode of Torah Curious. Torah Curious is a proud podcast of Hillel Deutschland. Big thanks to our guest, Gordy Ross, for joining us. Huge thanks, as always, goes out to Rabbi Rebecca Blady, Valentin Lutzet for the cover art, 
Alex Segura and Takayasuzawa for the awesome tunes, John Earl for teaching us the meaning of art, and our friend in the bay who made this all possible. Stay tuned for another episode of Torah Curious, coming soon with your Laba Berlin fellows. In the meantime, keep learning and stay curious. (laughs) 